there is an epidemic sweeping the land. This epidemic is not coronavirus, it's not appendicitis, it's know-it-all-itis. Frankly, we think we know it all and nobody can convince us otherwise. We have a hard time trusting authority. Your particular position seems to depend a lot on your sources. Do you choose to listen to CBC or to Fox News? What does Dr. Fauci or Dr. Teresa Tam know? Didn't you see that YouTube video your friend sent you saying that COVID is all overblown? Or your other friend who's absolutely convinced it's a communist plot? Or a scheme rigged by Satan worshippers high in government and finance? Name a stance, it seems, and there's someone out there to support it. It doesn't help that younger generations seem to be increasingly unwilling to trust institutions. A Washington Post article based on a Harvard poll in 2015 found that millennials sometimes, or never, trust the press, 88%, Wall Street, 86%, Congress, 82%, or the Supreme Court, 58%. As for the general population, a Gallup poll in 2020 found that just 45% of people had a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the church or organized religion. That means the majority, about 55%, had some, very little, or no confidence in the church or organized religion. Apparently we're not in the age of Aquarius, but the age of Thomas, the doubter. We're averse to authority. We're practically allergic to it. We don't know who to trust. Relativism and subjectivism are the gods of our times. Practically anything goes as long as you don't try to impose your views on someone else. Society will tolerate just about anything except those who dare to hold to objective truth, or that such a thing as absolutes exist. The restrictions to worship as a result of COVID become a bit of a test. For the first time in a long time, we can skip church without others really knowing. Will this lockdown liberty become an excuse for some to fall away from regular church participation? Oh, maybe I'll just listen to the podcast instead. And then it becomes just one of many podcasts, or perhaps eventually none. Tuning out from faith-based institutions is not a new issue. Back in Jesus' time, rabbis had become the main speakers in the synagogues. The synagogue was an innovation begun amongst the Jews exiled to Babylon following the destruction of the temple in 586 BC. Wherever there were ten or more Jewish men, they would organize a regular gathering. There would be praise and prayers, and someone would share about the teaching. Rabbis developed interpretations of passages in Scripture, upon which other rabbis commented and expanded, and eventually it became expositions of rabbis' interpretations, rather than a message based on the original Scripture text. Mark one twenty two says, The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Robertson's Word Pictures comments, they quoted other rabbis and felt their function to be expounders of the traditions, which they made a millstone around the necks of the people. By so doing, they set aside the word and will of God by their traditions and petty legalism. They were casuists and made false interpretations to prove their punctilious points of external etiquette to the utter neglect of spiritual reality." End quote. By the way, a casuist is a person who studies and resolves moral problems of judgment or conduct arising in specific situations. You've got this case, then you try to extend that reasoning to another case with a different twist, often with slipshod reasoning, and so on.
it became a matter of what other influential rabbi you could convincingly quote. And so the whole matter became somewhat tiring and irrelevant. For instance, in Jewish law, there are 39 categories of work forbidden on the Sabbath. When Jesus healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath and told him to pick up his mat and walk, John 5.10, that was not allowed by the traditions that have been developed. By majoring in the minors, Jewish leaders missed the main point of spiritual life. Do you ever get tired of religious details? Do you have trouble trusting in religious institutions because of some harm that's been done to you, some unjustified guilt or spiritual abuse that's been perpetrated on you in the past? Sometimes sin and abuse of authority creep into our human institutions. The church is ever in need of reformation in light of God's living word. Fasten your seatbelts. Jesus comes to upset the religious apple cart and help people get back to the key matter of a relationship with God. Mark 1, 21-22 says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. We'll explore more of the amazing quality of Jesus' authority in a bit. Next section, <clears throat> power over impurity. But wait, there's a ruckus over there on the right in the fourth pew from the front. What's happening? Who's that scary-looking guy shouting loud with his face all distorted and gesturing wildly? Verse 23 on. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Some translations call it evil spirit. It can also be rendered unclean or impure spirit. MacArthur notes there's some element of being morally impure. It's not just a medical or psychological condition. The New Testament asserts there are actual spiritual entities at work in our lives for good, angels, or ill, demons. Interestingly, this impure spirit seems to have a better appreciation or discernment of who's really in front of them than the rest of those gathered for the synagogue service. What do you want with us? Could also be put, do not trouble us. The spirit seems to understand the power of Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? That's a fair question. First John 3, 8 maintains, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The unclean spirit has reason to be afraid. The spirit also has an accurate understanding of some of Jesus' divine qualities. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He affirms both Jesus' sinlessness, being holy, and his divinity, originating in God. Long before Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ in chapter 8, verse 29, here the enemy is voicing clues to Jesus' true identity. But Jesus does not welcome this evil spirit's admission. He speaks sternly, verse 25, Be quiet, come out of him. The words be quiet can also refer to muzzling an ox, something firm like put a lid on it, although stop your mouth would be too colloquial. Jesus is not messing around and won't allow this spirit to cause further disruption of the worship service. The hidden power of Jesus is reflected somewhat in the surprising event that happened next. Verse 26. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The living translation. The evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion. In RSV, 
crying with a loud voice. Quite startling compared to your usual tranquil Sabbath service. But note the firm power of Christ. The unclean spirit can scream, can shake the man violently, but Jesus is the one in control and Satan has to leave. As Colossians 2.15 asserts, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As we've noted, the impure spirit was not just some psychological condition or mental imbalance. But Jesus can help when we're upset emotionally or find our mental health under attack. Are you sick and tired of COVID? Is this lockdown threatening to drive you loopy? There are the obvious things like asking the Lord to help you get regular sleep and exercise and healthy food intake. Venture to share with a friend that you know cares and you can trust what's bothering you. Ask them to be praying for you. Talk to your pastor or maybe a Christian counselor. Help is available when you're feeling isolated, alone, defeated, or discouraged. Our mouths and memory can help affirm who we are in Christ by his grace and keep the enemy powers at bay. One simple assertion that's been used in the past is called the Jesus Prayer. It goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. This tradition goes back to the monks in the Egyptian desert around 300 AD. You're proclaiming Jesus' name and divinity over your situation and calling out to him, calling on the name of the Lord. Let's say it again. You can join with me in your mind or under your breath. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. A more recent memory aid Pastor Phil introduced us to is the way of Jesus' sayings. These seven sayings help remind us who we are and what we're about as followers of Jesus when other things would distract or attack us. Let's review them briefly. Say them along with me if you can. I've begun to follow Jesus and I'm depending upon the Spirit of Jesus in my journey. I'm being sent by Jesus to bless others and invite them to follow him. I'm learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. I'm learning to love God and love others. I'm learning the teachings of Jesus. I'm helping someone and someone is helping me to be a reproducing follower of Jesus. I'm participating in a community of followers of Jesus on mission to the world. If you ever forget them, just search for Way of Jesus markers on the EMCC website. Lots of learning going on in those areas, especially during COVID. How is the Lord stretching you to be a blessing to others, to be more loving in your attitude, to be on mission for him rather than just snugly cocooning? Keep depending on the spirit of Jesus in your journey and there won't be a way in for bad spirits to be troubling you. Next section, amazing authority warrants obedience. Well, you can guess this whole incident in the synagogue caused quite a stir. Mark 1.27 The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Not only was Jesus' teaching a welcome change to the endless commentaries on commentaries of the rabbis, Jesus used no footnotes, no references, didn't quote other famous rabbis. It was as if God was addressing them personally. As Jesus expressed it in John 1249, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. It wasn't just that. 
by the miraculous exorcism of the evil spirit, people could tell divine power was really active and having effect in and through Jesus. His ability to command even enemy agents pointed to greater authority than any human teacher they had ever witnessed. Jesus commanded and the demon left. He was obviously a force to be reckoned with. Let's reflect a few moments on the authority Jesus has. As we started out considering today, our society is authority-averse. We suffer from know-it-all-itis. We can't tolerate anyone telling us what to do. Trust or confidence in human institutions is sorely lacking. How is Jesus' authority different? Why should we trust it when so many other sources of authority are imperfect, have let us down, or even turned out to be exploitive or abusive? Several scripture passages throw unique light on Jesus' authority. A key overarching one is Matthew 28:18, after his resurrection confirmed his predictions about suffering and rising from the dead. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has authority to execute judgment, John 5:27, And he, God the Father, has given him Jesus' authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Jesus had authority to yield up his life and authority to take it up again. Who else do you know that has the power or right or authority to come back from the dead? John 10:18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus has authority to give eternal life. John 17:2 says, For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. A related power is that of giving those who believe in him the right or power or authority to become God's children. You do know, don't you, that not everyone is automatically God's child just by virtue of being born of physical parents? There needs to be a rebirth by faith to become God's child, a, a deliberate choosing and committing, as gets marked by baptism. John 1.12 Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the authority to become children of God. John MacArthur summarizes, What authority! Authority to teach whatever he wanted to teach without any resource, without any precedent, and to make it binding on men and determinative of their eternal destiny. Authority to heal the sick. Authority to raise the dead. Authority to cast out demons. Authority to forgive sin. Authority to designate children of God. Authority to give eternal life and authority to judge every person. Tremendous authority. End quote. What about it? Are you willing to recognize Jesus' authority and let him be Lord in your life? Governing your decisions, directing your choices and aspirations, shaping the course of your life. What's different about Jesus' authority than other authorities? We understand the need for someone to be ultimately responsible in government, in the church, in the family, in our schools or other social institutions. There needs to be order, accountability, responsibility, so direction is agreed upon and put into action meaningfully. But how is Christ's authority different? Is it more than just the authority of a parent to a small child saying, because I say so? Often with some threat of consequence or punishment lurking in the background. 
that's not appealing, that's coercive, and it's less effective the older we get. Thinking about this, I found there are at least three aspects of Jesus' authority that stand out. First, the authority of the designer. God made us, he is our creator, and Jesus being part of the Trinity from all eternity was part of that. John 1.3 Through him all things were made. Colossians 1.16 For by him, Christ, all things were created. He is the Son of Man as well as Son of God. Jesus understands us. He gets us. He has stood where we stand. He has walked in our shoes. Hebrews 2.14 Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. The Bible is the manufacturer's handbook. God has shared with you the best way to live life, to spare you grief. Jesus knows us inside out like a manufacturer understands the machine or program they custom designed. John 2.24 But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Automaker Henry Ford asked electrical genius Charlie Steinmetz to build the generators for his factory. One day the generators ground a halt and the repairman couldn't find the problem. So Ford called Steinmetz, who tinkered with the machines for a few hours and then threw the switch. The generators whirred to life, but Ford got a bill for $10,000 from Steinmetz. That was a lot, of, a lot of money back in those days. Flabbergasted, the rather tight-fisted car maker inquired why the bill was so high. Steinmetz's reply, for tinkering with the generators, $10.00. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990, Ford paid the bill. So there's the authority of the designer. Second, there's the authority of the determiner. Jesus' life is bound up with the fulfillment of prophecy from centuries earlier. The disciples, who were eyewitnesses of his suffering on the cross, couldn't help but be struck by the prophetic aspect of passages like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. On the road to Emmaus as a hidden companion, Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Later, he joined the dots for the rest of the disciples. Luke 24, 44 on. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This prophetic element of the Bible, seeing things come true after decades or centuries, is a dominant theme that highlights God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. This past Thursday, my one-year Bible daily reading in Exodus contained a very low point in the Hebrews' existence. God had sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to let the enslaved Jews go, but Pharaoh resisted and made their burden worse, tightening the screws on their suffering. It seems a breaking point is coming. But God assures Moses, Exodus 6, 5-8, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
I'll give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. See, the effect of God is determiner. I will, I will, I will. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, the one who makes things happen. The Lord God, the supreme authority over all that happens. That then you will know bit refers to recognition of authority, building confidence in one who's sovereign. Suppose a tourist came to the Goderich area and asked the manager of the motel they're staying at where they can catch some fish. The manager says, I know a guy who's quite an avid angler. I'll have him call you. So the angler calls the tourist and tells him, well, I often have success at a certain bend in the Maitland just below the evaporator plant about 10 to 7 in the morning. I'll meet you there with some extra gear and we'll have a go. Well, next morning you're out there in the water, 6.30 a.m., not a fish to be seen. 6.45, still nothing. Suddenly, about five minutes later, the tourist line begins to jiggle, and then there's a tug, and then a protracted reeling. Next thing, a fine catch. Do you suppose that tourist is going to have some respect for that angling expert as an authority? What he said came to pass. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus predicted three successive times in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10 that he would suffer and be put to death and rise again. That prophecy was fulfilled. He has authority as the determiner. Third, Jesus has authority as our deliverer. In today's passage, verses 25 on NRSV, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. Jesus proved his authority by the man's deliverance. His own death is the price paid for our freedom from sin and guilt. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. Jesus has become our deliverer at enormous cost. Mark 1.27 He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Do you recognize his authority? Will you obey him as your Lord? What do you discern the Lord may be ordering you to do? We owe him our own souls. We have his command. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done for us as our deliverer. John 13, 13 to 15 and 34. You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. The Apostle John later wrote about it this way in a letter to the church, 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, thank you for giving us existence, for granting us new birth through faith, Forgiving yourself in our place so we might be forgiven. Shatter our stubborn resistance and help us become more obedient to you. Let our hearts break with what breaks yours so we may become vessels of your love in a hurting world. Amen.